Wesley on the Spielman and Hooley We Tackle Life podcast. I mean, I'm I'm just spitballing here because I have no idea. I just know how it looks and it makes me a little anxious because I don't know what he does. And that's frustrating for me that I have no idea what his, what his role is besides hiring people, apparently. Well, when you don't define it, you allow other people to You weren't talking it. about me, were you? It makes you nervous that you don't know what I do. No, I think you were talking about Paul D. Podesta, the uh, Browns, uh, Sven Gali, Wizard of Oz, Chief Strategy yeah. Officer. He yeah. now disappears back into the shadows as he they does. hire Andrew Barry, who yeah. will be introduced on February 6th and reading some of the reports that came out and what Andrew's going to bring to the table that seems to be a great working relationship so far with Kevin Stefanski. So I come in here optimistic, my friend. They're great together because they haven't ever been together. Fantastic Um, together. I think as long as the rules are defined and and as we said, I I don't know what the chief strategy officer (laughs) does, but is he out of the picture now? Because I did say that – or read where G or D and Jimmy Haslam both said that we're looking forward to Andrew running our football operations. So I guess that we then can let Paul D. Bedesta move back into the shadows, go back to San Diego, come to Cleveland every so often to visit. And if things go strange and wrong, then it's Andrew's fault. And if they go great, uh, it's Paul DePodesta's uh, credit. Yeah. That's a great gig. That you is know, a great gig. I uh, am not an expert on this, though you will accuse me of it since I'm bringing it up. But you can sort of follow this uh, little endeavor on Twitter as it filters into your life. I'm talking about The Bachelor. You should have Maddie on. Maddie used to watch The Bachelor right. faithfully. But this strikes me... Um, this marriage between Andrew Barry and Paul and uh, Kevin Stefanski, uh, forced by Jimmy Haslam, I wonder if when they called Andrew Barry to take the job, instead of saying, Andrew, would you like to be our GM? If they said, Andrew, would you accept this rose? Because this does feel like a whirlwind courtship of, hey, come on in and we'll talk about concepts and analytics and this and that and the other. And uh, this guy's great. I think he's fantastic. And, blah, blah, blah. and then, oh, we actually have to sit down and pay the bills together, to put it in marital terms. Because, you know, we've all been there. The honeymoon's yeah. fantastic. You come back and, oh, hey, wait, the toilet's broken. Oh, well, gee, you know, that didn't come up when we were dating. No, it <laughs> didn't. So there'll be adversity that will be visited sure. upon the Stefanski-Barry uh, relationship. And oddly, Spiels, this week on The Bachelor... The girls were told they had to travel to Cleveland because the bachelor, I guess, flew to Cleveland for some reason. I don't know. But the the looks on the girls' faces when they had to go to Cleveland (laughs) from, you know, Bora Bora or Bally Bally or wherever they were, they were not happy about it. So uh, apparently Andrew Barry's happier about coming to Cleveland than the girls on The Bachelor. Uh, But we'll see how it works out. It's Mm -hmm. whether they say it's a forced marriage or not. Uh, it's a whirlwind courtship at the very least because they don't have 14 years like Stefanski and George Payton have in Minnesota. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, too, and I was listening to NFL Radio yesterday, and they made a great point, and I think it's exactly dead on. Uh, Pat Kerwin actually made this point, and Pat's pretty well dialed in. I don't know if you ever listened to Pat. I know Pat. who Pat Kerwin is, yeah. He's, he's, he's got a pretty good feel uh, of things, and he said this. Unlike uh, coaches taking over other jobs— you know, with this job, uh, they're expected to win now. It's not a three or four or five yeah. year building. It's it, really it might, odd, isn't it? it it's well, I, I, I think he's right because oh, he's right of the amount of talent that at least on paper is there, and so 
when you bring in Andrew Barry and, and Kevin Stefanski, you're not going to get a little bit of a grace period. And it's not like, okay, come in, you know, we're going to rebuild, get young, kind of like what Brian Flores did down with the Miami Dolphins, where yeah. they tore it all down and, you know, ended up being a very competitive team last year. I thought Brian Flores and those guys did a pretty darn good job down yeah, in Miami. really did. To be honest with you. And so I don't think the uh, – and nor should they have the luxury – of the quote-unquote rebuild, I think because of your quarterbacks in place and people can have mixed feelings about Baker Mayfield, I think Baker Mayfield is a guy that you can win with. And I do think there comes an upgrade on the offensive line. Uh, the Kareem Hunt thing just threw me for a giant yeah. loop and put me in the tank. Um I think you have to part ways with Kareem Hunt. I know that people will differ, disagree with me, but he's making poor decisions, and he's going to continue to make poor decisions. Uh, maybe we can talk yeah, about that sure. in a second because sure. I, I do want to hit on that, and I hate it because I'm a fan of Kareem Hunt. I love the kid at Toledo. I love him as a player, but he continues to make bad decisions, and it's just a matter of time because I learned through you before – you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times, the guy's going to continue to make mistakes. And just he's been caught. So how many times has he made poor decisions? We've already known that he's made two very poor decisions, not the ones counting in college and the ones that we don't know about. So eventually he's going to end up hurting your team. And he's a big part of this team. I mean, I, the, the one-two combination of Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, it, it was almost too good to be true. And, of course, we all know and we all recognize the one thing that matters most, if you can get Baker and Jarvis and OBJ, which is going to be a monumental monumental challenge mm -hmm. to buy in the team first, that's it. If there are team first guys, this team can be really, really good. They, I really believe that, Bruce. I, I just think they're too good of players not to be good and not to win 10 ball games and not to get in the playoffs. And who knows when you get in the playoffs, you get on a run. Yeah. Uh, to, to, to circle back to your Pat Kerwin comment, when I said, uh, you know, made a comment about having to win right away, I agree with you. The talent is such that you shouldn't have to go through a rebuild. However, the oddity of the Browns' job is that they've always – whether real or implied, put that win-now pressure on their coaches. Just go back. Rob Chudzinski got a year. Mike Pettin got two years. Pat Shermer got two years. Uh, Hugh Jackson got, what, two-plus. So they've always had that pressure on the coach to win, win right away, given the actions of firing them quickly, uh, even though the talent in the past has not been what the talent is now. That's the I difference do, to me. Yeah, go ahead. it is, and I, I just think, you know, John Dorsey, we have uh, said and joked about how he always prioritized talent over baggage. That's why Kareem Hunt's in Cleveland. That's why he picked Kareem Hunt with the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, the problem with that is it's, um, it's a little bit like dating a stripper. I've known guys who've dated a stripper, and you think, well, you know, this is going to have great highs. Yeah, eventually you're, it's not going to go well. And – with the with the Beckhams and the Landrys and uh, Landry's a great player. There's a reason why the Dolphins were okay to let him walk. So you got to say, well, why would they let him walk? Why like would you let OBJ walk? Yeah, why would you trade Odell Beckham? Okay, well, there's a reason why. And now you can say, well, it's not a talent reason, and it's not. It's not a talent reason. It's a culture reason. True confession. I used to do a show in Cleveland with a guy who played for the Patriots uh, 
early on in their Super Bowl uh, run, Gerard Cherry. And Gerard was always, when we talked about the Browns, and I mean always, harping on culture. Culture, culture, culture. And at times it would aggravate me. I'm like, man, come on, we got to have another take besides just culture. But I now get it that you can't get to step two unless you have step one right. You just can't. And they don't have step one right. Now, Kevin Stefanski, can he reorder it and get it right? Sure. It's a possibility that he can. It's just a high mountain for him to get over because the personalities of the guys he has to get to buy in, I think you could say conservatively are more difficult personalities than some other personalities in the NFL. I agree. But regardless, it's a bottom line business. And I think from the owner's standpoint, everybody would come in with the win now mentality. Mm -hmm. But I'm talking about from the fans' standpoint. There's a legitimate uh, expectation the fans can have about this team because everybody knows that this team is is pretty good, in my opinion. But, you know, the Kareem Hunt thing threw me for a loop. I actually sent you the video. I don't know if you yeah, saw the video I before, oh, I sent, yeah. before I sent the video. Well, no, I saw it after you sent it to me. And I'm thinking to myself, like, Bruce used to talk about this Browns thing, and I thought you, quite frankly, over-exaggerated. The constant or a little, dysfunction. A little hyperbole. Yeah. But when I got that video, I said, this this is almost surreal. I mean, this can't be happening. Kid who's been given multiple chances. I don't understand Kid who knows it. he's on his, well, I mean, he's with the Browns, so you're never on your last chance with the Browns. See Josh Gordon, Johnny Manziel, you know, Antonio Callaway, on and on and on. Uh, but he's... He's with the Browns, not because he wasn't a good player with the Chiefs. He's with the Browns because the Chiefs essentially had to get rid of him because it was domestic violence, right? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah, kicking a woman in the head. Yeah, that's bad. Really, really, really bad. So he ends up in Cleveland and, you know, I come on, I'm a change man. And does a good job. He's a good player. Says all the right things, doing all the right things. Yeah, and and then now he's pulled over by Rocky River Police. Rocky River's a suburb on the west side of Cleveland, near West Side, uh, on January the twenty first, and uh, he's he's acting disoriented. So the the police officer has reason to believe well, something's up, but the police officer knows who he is. Right, he understands who he is. So he goes, he puts Kareem Hunt in a squad car, and he goes back to Kareem Hunt's car, and he finds marijuana, and he mm. finds a backpack with an open bottle of vodka, and all this stuff is off limits for a guy with Kareem Hunt's uh, past with substance matters and with his arrest. Especially record. in the car. Yeah. I mean, come, I mean yeah. the judgment to have that in the car. Yeah, open, yeah, open container of vodka in the car. Uh, so the cop really, I mean, it sure looks like Kareem Hunt got a break because he's Kareem Hunt. And Kareem Hunt's making a plea like I'd fail it. He says I'd fail a drug test right now if you gave you know the NFL gave me one I'd fail it. He's driving. By He's the way. driving. Yes, by the way. Uh, here's the quote from the officer. I, I I understand you're with the Browns and all that. You have my word. If there's nothing in that car, I'm just going to give you a traffic ticket. A traffic ticket is not going to get you in trouble. We constantly stop athletes around here because you're all working in Cleveland. It's just a traffic ticket. You're not going to get in trouble, man. Well, then he found a plastic bag of marijuana and he found the vodka and uh, you know. <sighs> Hunt says, I'm sorry, I was having a good time. It's the off season. Um, and the officer did say, I'm sorry if you uh, are trying to stay on the right path. This is not the way to no. go. Yeah, thanks, Captain Obvious. Well, so, I mean, I think the officer did a pretty good job. I think, I think a, a normal citizen would not have got that, gotten that dispensation. A normal citizen would have been charged with, you know, DUI or... 
Did he, driving while impaired. What, they, what ended? I, I, a speeding I was, ticket. A speeding ticket. You got yeah, a speeding yeah, ticket. Yeah. The a quote that will not help the officer is, Honestly, I'm like one of the hugest Browns fans ever. Mm-hmm. Born and raised in Cleveland, and it's frustrating to watch the Browns every single year. <laughs> you know what was really bothering? I'll tell you. You know what was bothering Kareem Hunt? I, honestly, I think the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl, and he's not there with them. And he says, I should be playing yeah. in the blankety-blank Super Bowl. It hurts my soul. You don't understand. No, I understand. Uh, I You're understand. not playing in the Super Bowl. Chris Spielman understands. Feel my pain, dude. Anybody who's ever played in the NFL without kicking women in the head and having open bottles of vodka in the car yeah. maybe deserve the Super Bowl berth a bit more than you do. Well, I the thing that I would concern me if I were the, the police officer in is that he's did he let him get back in the car and drive away if if Kareem Hunt says I so. would fail no, a drug test? So. Okay. I hope he didn't let that happen because Brown then that's aware of that's this. a dereliction of duty, right? What do and they're looking into it. I, I like the uh I got I got to be honest with you, the, the Browns, the Rocky River policeman, he's with the program. He's MVP. He's with the program. Season tickets. <laughs> hey Jimmy. Oh. <laughs> Where's my calendar? Where's my Browns dysfunction calendar? It never ends. Uh it's just so it it's so frustrating um for me because I I I'm a fan of, as you know, and as everybody that listens, I'm a fan of every player because I, I'm player first guy. I really am. I I love players. I I I admire and have so much respect for them because I know what they go through, and to have a good time, I, I go have a good time. Go smoke weed in the off season or go drink whatever you need to drink. That's fine, but don't do it in the car. I mean, let's have some common sense here. And so, the, to me, it's because Kareem was on second or third chance, because I think there were some issues in, at Toledo, uh, maybe you would have somebody say, you might not want to get in a car and drive, or you want to be very discreet about how you have a good time. And, and apparently, uh, he's not taking that into consideration when he's making these decisions. But I was really... Uh, frustrated and sad for that sad for the situation i mean i don't understand and i will maintain that it's not about what the players that andrew barry pick or the what kevin stefanski what offense he runs it's about buying in and to go back to you bruce it's about the culture and until your best players are your best leaders and best decision makers uh you're going to continue to um I think struggle in the world of mediocrity as far as football goes. Okay, so uh, we're videoing this podcast, and it'll be on our YouTube channel later. I would like for you to read the date on this tweet right here that I found from my Twitter archive. Oh, sorry. Oh, December 2nd, 2018. Okay, December 2nd, 2018, 2018 from the account of uh, at B. Hools. Did I read it? That's, That's me. You. Anybody want to bet against John Dorsey and the Browns signing Kareem Hunt? Quote, playing near his hometown will give him structure. We have a plan in place. Everyone deserves a second chance. He's under a zero tolerance policy, unquote. You know the drill. December 2nd, 2018. Mm -hmm. So over here, I Googled Browns signed Kareem Hunt. Cleveland Browns signed running back Kareem Hunt, NFL.com. February 11th. 2019. Okay. So I was two months ahead of it. Okay. Uh, so let's find the quotes. 
I assume they're in this story from NFL.com. If not, I can find them on my Twitter. Uh, yeah, here he is kicking a woman in the head on video, shoving her, blah, blah, blah. Come on, Brownies. Give me give me the quote. Give me the quote here. Uh, here's the quote. My relationship and interaction with Kareem, this is John Dorsey, mm-hmm. since 2016 was an important part of the decision-making process. We did extensive due diligence with many individuals, including clinical professionals. Uh, Kareem took full responsibility for his egregious actions, showed true remorse. He's uh, committed to necessary professional treatment, so they have a plan in place. See? Okay, I see that, and I, I, I'm actually for yeah. that, but go uh, ahead. We do not condone his actions. Given what we know about Kareem through our extensive research, we believe he deserves a second chance, mm-hmm. certainly with the understanding he has to go through critical and essential steps to become a performing member of this organization. So... I uh, knew what was coming before it was coming because I've seen it coming for 20 years with this team. I heard it with Josh Gordon. And the biggest lie the Browns ever told during the repeated Josh Gordon uh, fiasco was, well, we have Josh on the team, but we're not really counting on him. We're not really counting. We're not counting on Josh. Forget him as a bonus. No, no. There's not an NFL team out there who's not counting on every guy on the 53-man roster. Right. They're counting on every single guy. And if you have a talent like Josh Gordon, a talent like Kareem Hunt, it is impossible to have an intoxicating talent like that on your roster, and you'd be stupid to have an intoxicating talent like that on your roster and not be counting on them because Mm -hmm. your job is to win, to give your team the best chance to win, and we have Kareem Hunt over there. He can't be over there as like a hood ornament. He's got to be over there as a main cog in what you're doing. eating a roster spot. You don't have guys on your team to act as insurance policies. The (laughs) only insurance policy on any football team is the backup quarterback. That's right. That's the insurance policy. Have the Browns addressed this latest Kareem Hunt issue? Yeah, they're looking into it, Spiels. They're they are. They're going back. The guy who did the extensive research on Hunt's background and the clinical professionals are going to consult them. Probably. I, I hate to say this, and I don't like saying this, on, but I think they got to let him go. I mean, they have to let him go. I don't think they will. I mean, I think he's lucky that there's a new general manager and that there's a new head coach, because it's a quote unquote. We'll get the. It's a fresh, fresh start. start. You know. See, I think. I think the other way. I think this is an opportunity for Stefanski and Barry to say, "Not anymore, boys. Not anymore, guys. Not anymore, fellas." Yeah, I'm, it, I agree. That's what. That's what I want yeah. them to say. That's what I would say if I were in charge. As as difficult as it is, and you know, I I don't understand it like Rick or George or Andrew or Kevin or uh, Kyle Shanahan or John Lynch, I don't understand the amount of pressure. You know, it's easy for us to sit here and say, hey, let this guy that can help us win games, we got to let him go. we got to let him go. You got Nick Chubb, and I think it's been proven. You need a two, though. I know, but you can find... I, I agree. Uh, you can find Raheem Mostert four touchdowns in the NFC Championship the, game. You, the, a guy who had his best season at Purdue was 500 yards. You can find running backs. You got a draft coming up. You got free agency coming yeah. up. There'll be running backs falling out of tree limbs. So I, mean, I agree. I, mean, I agree. Just I said it with Antonio Callaway right. early last season. Cut him. Cut him when he got the suspension for uh, substance. You know the violating the substance abuse policy. Cut him. Send a message to your team. No, we got to bring him back because he's Antonio Callaway. He's got a ton of uh, potential. And he lost a game for you, maybe more than one, mm-hmm. by handing a touchdown pass to the other team as an interception. And 
what'd you end up doing? Cutting him. So just I agree. cut him. Right. Barry and Stefanski, cut the man. I, I stand corrected. I We are about winning. Kareem Hunt is a distraction. We do not put up with distractions. Because, look, if Kareem Hunt has a great year, he was on a one-year deal this year, he's going to be gone anyway. Nick Chubb's your long-term investment. You ever hear about Nick Chubb in the news? No. He's one of the rare Browns who just concentrates on football. Yeah. I I, I mean, I I agree with you. I just hate – I hate it. I just hate it when guys do this because it's – it, it frustrates me to no end in, you know, you're always here. I wish I could talk with Baker, not that it would make a difference, or I wish I could talk with Kareem, not that it would make a difference. It's just that I wish these guys understood what is happening in front of them, even like with the Antonio Brown thing. I I, I mean, Antonio, I don't know what's going on with there. I, there might be mental issues or drug issues. I don't know, but – when it, all these guys that I have such admiration for because of their talent, yet they continue to um, push the envelope and make mm-hmm. selfish decisions. Uh, and to be a team player, it's not just during the season. It's during the off season. It's how you conduct yourself every single day. Now, I'm not saying you can't make mistakes or not have a good time, but when you are under double secret probation, quote-unquote, animal house, mm-hmm. Like Kareem Hunt, I don't think I would drive. I think I would be smart enough not to drive with an open container or a bag of weed in my car and then tell the police officer I would fail an NFL drug test when I'm already on double secret probation. And uh, and who knows? Maybe the NFL is going to st- step in here and weigh they in should. on this. They have okay. to. You, I would, uh, you might know this. I know... In season, if a player is out and about, doesn't the NFL provide a service where the players can call a number and they'll send somebody? The NFL doesn't want publicity like this to reflect poorly on the shield. Is that in vogue? In the, the there's thing. a little thing called Uber and Lyft. No, I, I, if you're in trouble, look, you can call they go and they'll take you where you want to go. Every team has somebody yeah. or, an, or, or, or a service that they got the guy from Pulp Fiction. They got the fixer. No, what? Well, no, they don't have the fixer, but they have the guy. <laughs> they got Winston Wolf. Winston Wolf, the cleaner. wasn't the fixer. He was the cleaner. The cleaner. But the uh, to be accurate in the movie. Yes. But it, I know that there's uh, the teams hire organizations or services where if you're out, they actually will come pick you up, take your car back to your house. Walk you into the house. I mean, everything is provided for you if you want to walk the fine line. Or if you go out and you have one too many, you want to walk the fine line. I had a pretty simple rule. Like, when I go out and I'm driving, I'll have uh, two drinks. That's it. Whether it's two glasses of wine or two beers or whatever. I don't go above two. That's it. Yeah. I, I that Because I know... I did the research, and it says I, at my body size and weight, I can have two drinks, and I won't be inebriated, and I don't, I don't risk anything. I just don't understand. I don't understand, and um, it's so frustrating for me because I, I don't think these guys are bad guys. I just think they just make awful, awful decisions when they're, and I don't understand how they keep making awful decisions when they see people around them constantly making awful decisions. Why do they continue to risk this, Bruce? That's a great mystery of our time. Yeah, I think it's uh, invincibility. 
I think when you're an elite athlete, uh, an elite, and when you're elite at anything, you know, president of a company, corporation, stuff like that, I think your acumen and ability in one area can override your judgment sometimes in times of crisis. It's the only thing I can venture. I'm not in that position, mm-hmm. so I don't know. Uh, and, and I would say, too, I want to extend some—I've never been—I want to extend some grace. I've never—that's not a temptation I face. It's just not. It's just I, you know, right. it's easy for me to bang on it and to not have as much empathy. I've never been gripped by an addiction of any sort. I've never been, um, I've never been a partier. I've never been right. drunk. So, I mean, it's easy for me to say, well, come on, don't do it. If you fall into that lifestyle early on, Kareem Hunt's had a lot of, you know, bad things happen sure. to him. You know, I, I do want to be empathetic, but I also, will never absolve people of personal responsibility when they're an adult and when they have the means. There are a lot of people who don't have the means to cover mistakes like that. He's right. got the money to call Uber. Well, the Browns Lyft. The have. Browns would he'd call somebody on the Browns. Hey, I can I get a ride you, to the airport? That's where he was going. If I, am. I guarantee you all the Browns have a number of a guy in the organization, and somebody in the organization's job is to tend to players in a valet type in, of way, in, to be in situations like this, so that it doesn't reflect poorly on the player or on the organization. Yeah. I guarantee you, every team in the NFL has that. Why, I don't know why they don't use it. Well, I don't maybe, maybe they don't want maybe the team to do. know about it. They don't want the team to know. Oh, I was hammered, and they don't. Want, I don't want the team to know. Uh, which I can sort of get that. Well, you got buddies. You got everybody. All these guys have, because of their means and because of their celebrity. I mean, the cop knows the guy. I mean, you got friends. You got people willing to do favors for you. Uh-huh. So. I uh, hope they get it straightened out. I, I hope do. Kareem Hunt gets his life straightened out. But as it concerns the Browns, you got to let him go. You got to let him go. You have to be about winning. Uh, and this, this is this is not just a Browns thing. This is one of the things that's helped, helped thing. me recently. Is in life, it helps you not waste time, not make mistakes, and not uh, spend time on things that don't matter. If you have a vision and a purpose. This is what I'm about. These are This is who I am. This is what I want to be about. This is what I'm trying to accomplish. And so anything that comes across your plate, do I have time for this? Do I have time for this? Do I have time for this? No, I don't, because it's not going to help me reach or strive toward my goal, my purpose. For the Browns, that goal and purpose is to win football games. And Kareem Hunt's a huge distraction, and he's unreliable. And so you have to let him go. You have to let him go. I don't know if they will, but that would be my uh, recommendation to Andrew Barry, who I will not meet until when? February 6th. February 6th would be the uh, press conference. Is, if is I, he out recruiting or something? He's a I, college I don't, football uh, coach. He's, well, I'm sure he's, you know, they, the guys are in full mode as far as getting ready for the draft. Maybe, and maybe he's going back to watch his senior bowl practice tape since he wasn't employed before the senior bowl. What Buckeyes can't we take? Oh, Dorsey fixed that, though. Dorsey right? fixed the no Buckeyes yeah, left no, behind No policy. Buckeyes policy. <laughs> Here's the Jeff other. Okuda ten, baby. I, I, I don't think he, there, I don't think he's going to last till ten. Sprint to the podium. I, I want to see Andrew Barry in a sprinter stance of Jeff Okuda. I think there's going to be five um, offensive linemen, five offensive tackles taken in the first round. Well, when you look at the mock drafts, it's tackle, 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 tackle. Like just, the Browns draft tenth, and I've seen him taking the fourth tackle. Yeah. I hope that kid from George is good because he's the one I keep seeing well, falling to the Browns. I mean, you can get good tackles. Rick got a pretty good one. Uh, the kid from uh, Pitt, Ryan O'Neill, I believe is his name. Uh, got a starting right tackle in his rookie year in the second round or third round, wherever it was. So you you just got to find that guy. That but the Browns need to upgrade on the offensive line, and you can never have enough corners. And you know, I think Damon Arnett is going to actually sneak into the first round too. Whoa. 
First or second round, yeah. I, I watch. I I guarantee you, Bruce. It's just they're so hard to find in the shelf life a corner. Usually, uh, analytics. This well, uh, Sean Wade had gone out. They'd had three corners yeah. in the first round. Paul D. Podesta would like this. <laughs> I Anal- guess I'd settle the D. Analytics argument. will tell you that uh, you know corners start hitting that wall at twenty seven, twenty eight, and twenty nine. It's yeah, over, man. You got to get a new one. Yeah, it's a very difficult position to play. But I want to go back just to to the uh, NFL as a whole and yeah. what's coming with the new collective bargaining agreement. There, there's going to be, I think, a relaxed policy on marijuana. I think that the the marijuana will be treated like drinking. Okay. I I don't think they're going to uh, be under the same rules as far as suspensions and stuff like that if a guy gets busted for marijuana in his. Uh, System. I do think that the NFL is falling in line with some of the states as far as legalized marijuana. And I think, uh, you know, that's going to be part uh, of the NFL uh, new collective bargaining agreement where the players will probably be allowed to indulge in that. And I think the NFL will treat it almost like drinking. So that's something to look forward to. And a 17th game. I do think a 17th game is coming. Probably. Yeah. Uh, the Super Bowl is coming. It's on Sunday. The Kobe Bryant uh, tragedy, I think, has taken some of the uh, festivity, some of the festive nature of the Super Bowl away. I think everybody in the sports world just is, uh, there's a pall cast over it. Uh, it will ramp up late in the week. Uh, the show will go on. Uh, I heard a stat this morning that uh, boggles my mind, and. Uh, it involves the Niners, and this is the challenge for the Kansas City Chiefs. San Francisco 49ers led the NFL in sacks, 57 sacks. The San Francisco 49ers were last in the NFL in blitz rate. Last. So they don't blitz, and they get there better than anybody. So in speaking with Richard Sherman early in the oh, year. Oh, yes. You and I were going to have to have a thing about Richard yeah, Sherman we, today. We'll have that. Yeah. Uh, I asked him the biggest difference between last year's defense and this year's defense. Now, remember, this was week two. Yeah. And he told me the biggest difference is last year we had to blitz to get pressure mm-hmm. because of the amount of injuries that we had. We had to do something. We just couldn't sit there and be sitting ducks because if you give an NFL quarterback, Bruce, time to throw, you know that you'll just get carved apart. That's just the way it is. And this year, they don't have to blitz as much. And by not blitzing as much, the obvious is that you get more guys in coverage. And so that's what you certainly need when you play the Kansas City Chiefs because of all the weapons they may have Mm -hmm. or that they utilize or how Patrick Mahomes spreads the ball around, and uh, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, Damon Williams, whoever Patrick Holmes, uh, Mahomes' choice is, and that's what makes him so difficult to defend. And so the one thing that Patrick Mahomes does a great job of doing, this is something that a lot of quarterbacks can't do. Aaron Rodgers does this a little bit. We always talk about quarterbacks stepping up into the pocket, mm-hmm. right? Well, Mahomes doesn't step up into the pocket what he does is he steps back, but he has the arm strength to be able to step back and not step up and throw off his back foot. And and I judge quarterbacks nowadays. I mean, I used to think a guy, everything has to be perfectly married for a guy to be accurate. For some quarterbacks, that's true. Kirk Cousins, uh, to an extent, uh, Mitchell, Mitchell Trubisky. Yep. But the... 
the guys with that that live arm, so to speak. Uh, Aaron Rodgers comes to mind. Uh, Mahomes comes to mind. Josh Actually, Allen. Josh Allen comes to mind. All these guys that can dis- Carson Wentz. Mm-hmm. They don't have to have everything married together. Uh, Kyler Murray is another guy that comes to mind. Breeze used to be. Don't yeah. know about now. No, not now. They they're able to drift back, and so when you're able to drift back, the one thing that does is neutralize that inside push, right? Mm-hmm. Because you can't get to them. Yeah. And the only way to get that is when you have, and the 49ers counter that because they have such two great outside pass rushers and Nick Bosa and D Ford mm-hmm. and Solomon Thomas, who, by the way, is coming on. Yeah, he's coming on. He's he's not a he's not playing like a first rounder, but he's a very uh, effective player for yep. them. Yep. Then you have, by the way, DeForest Buckner, who's one of the best inside three techniques, and the guy that had his best year, another number one pick from Morgan, Eric Armstead. Yeah. So it's going to be a great matchup, and, and they have to force Patrick Mahomes to get rid of the football. Then Kelsey will be taken care of, I think, because there's a kid named Joukowsky Tart, who's a uh, safety for the 49ers, Jimmy Ward, and uh, the linebacker that I talk about all the time, Fred Ward Jr., and a kid that's healthy now is Quan Alexander. All these guys are really good cover guys. So I think athletically and because of the ability not having to blitz, uh, the 49ers match up very well against this Chiefs offense. Uh, all the no-names, relative no-names, you're dialed in, you're an insider, so you know the names. But they're not guys that you know jump out to you uh, as just a casual NFL fan of the Niners like I am. Uh, they remind me of the uh, first Super Bowl Niners. Do, remember Dwight Hicks and the Hot Licks? Yeah. That was their secondary. They had one veteran and three rookies in the secondary. They don't have rookies now, but uh, they're really, really good. And, of course, in the secondary, their headliner is Richard Sherman, a guy you like a lot, a guy who's hard for me to like, but I put great weight on your opinion of Richard Sherman because you've spoken to him, and I like to uh, believe that you know, I don't know the man at all. I know what I hear of him in the public, and he may be playing a public role Uh, for whatever perceived reasons that he has. But he took the opportunity at the Super Bowl this week to light up Jim Harbaugh, his former coach with the – no, he didn't like Harbaugh. Oh, his former coach at Stanford, yeah. So Sherman was a wide receiver at Stanford. Harbaugh moved him to to a defensive back. Mm -hmm. And Sherman, you know, felt like Harbaugh did him wrong and says Sherman then went to the Seahawks. Y'all remember the uh, famous Aaron Andrews interview after they beat the Niners – uh, in the NFC Championship game, yes, uh, you know he and Aaron Andrews like who's what was the thing he said? Don't something. Everybody thought it was aimed at Michael Crabtree. He says that outburst was aimed at Jim Harbaugh. Mm-hmm. Says I wanted to put him out of the league. Uh, I had no animosity toward the San Francisco organization. I meant it to Harbaugh. We've had our history. I don't regret half a second of that. There's bad blood there. There's history there. That's not the team. It was less about the 49ers and the Seahawks. That was very personal. Mm-hmm. Um, then a coach at Stanford at the time said that after uh, Sherman was moved to defensive back, he would uh, disrupt practice by yelling out the plays on offense that were coming to the defense. Uh, this coach uh, said Sherman was a spring practice diva who demanded the football wide out and often caused disruption within the team. Mm-hmm. So that's the Richard Sherman thing. Um, and he got into a snit with uh, Darrell Revis after, although Revis d- started that, Revis saying, now you're going to have to cover in a Super Bowl and you're going to get exposed. Uh, Look, against I, the I don't, I don't, I don't care what he says off the field. I have no, it makes no difference to me. Like when I was a player, 
I didn't care what anybody said off the field. If they're talking smack or getting in little snits with with other players. And back in when I played, obviously, it was through newspaper articles, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Twitter wasn't, excuse me, around. Richard Sherman's free to say what he wants to say. All I know is what I see. And all I know is talking to his teammates and <clears throat> and actually, <clears throat> excuse me, being out of practice and watching how he conducts himself in practice and watches how he competes in practice and listening to his coaches and talking to them regularly. Uh, I did four games last year, two games this year. I know what I see, mm-hmm. and I know what he does on the film, and I know uh, how he competes, and I know how he uh, helps younger players, and I know how he helps young receivers on the 49ers. So whatever um, riff he had 10 years ago with Jim Harbaugh at Stanford, I could care less about. It has nothing to do with now and nothing to do with what I see. And maybe Richard Sherman um, – might have his personal battles uh, over Twitter. Nobody cares anymore because I think all, there's so many personal battles over Twitter that that's diluted. Nobody yeah. cares. I am a bit surprised that you don't say, yeah, I'd prefer he like, I mean, what's the point of as what we strive to live for is the, of harboring and grinding an ax that's 10 years old. Like Richard Sherman, he's had a rejuvenated NFL career with the San Francisco 49ers. Like, congratulations, you're in the Super Bowl. Like, can we not go back and litigate every single yep. perceived adversity you've gone I've through had, in your life? I have a theory that Richard Sherman was uh, labeled as a slow corner, right? Oh, yeah. And, and Darrell Revis is getting on him or w- whatever. Yeah, Revis so, thinks that he plays a lot of zone and that he it's gets— It's easy. Yeah. Right. It's it, yeah. And they do play a lot Revis of took a shot at him. I don't mind— Popping back when you get a guy right. takes a shot at you. But uh, I, my, my point is that, and I was a guy like this, and again, it wasn't as um, advertised as it, as it is today, but he plays with a chip on his shoulder, he right? Does. And that's his edge. And so if somebody asks him a question, he's going to answer the question. Now, I don't agree with all his answers. In fact, I probably disagree with more than what I agree with. The only thing I am saying is that when it comes to playing defense for the San Francisco 49ers, when it comes to being a practice player, when it's coming uh, when it comes to to the decision to come up and and be a physical tackler as a corner and playing the run game, I only go by my eyes and I only go by what his teammates say about him and I only go by what the coaches say about him and what I've witnessed. And so I don't care what he says about Harbaugh. He doesn't like Harbaugh. There's a probably a, a, a list it's a long, mile long, long that doesn't like Harbaugh. Yeah. There's a list a mile long that doesn't like a lot of the coaches that guys played for. True. It doesn't matter. Just because it's Richard Sherman and he speaks his mind, it's going to get headlines. And just because he's talking about Jim Harbaugh or, or an assistant coach doesn't like the way he practiced at Stanford, well, you know, he's a 10-year pro as opposed to a college kid uh, at Stanford. Guys change. Now, he, you know, Richard's going to, he'll hold a grudge. That's fine. Get, get in line. A million NFL players hold a million grudges. It's a grudge league. It's grudge against grudge. It's what, in other words, you do whatever you have to do to get your edge. Then you keep doing it once you find it 
to keep your edge. That's the truth of it. That's the reality of it. I'm for the Chiefs. Let's put it that way. Why? I just, I'm for the Chiefs. I think it'd be a nice story of 50 years since they last won the Super Bowl. And the Niners have a bunch of Super Bowls. I'm just for the Chiefs. I'm an AFC guy, I guess. You're for the Niners? Darren Lee's on the Chiefs, so there's, you know, it's the Buckeye factor is canceled out. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm for nobody. I hate it. I hate the Super Bowl. <laughs> I wish yes. they wouldn't be playing. I wish they ended a tie. I wish there was never another Super Bowl in my life. No, I'm just kidding. Well, am I? Maybe. Maybe. I <laughs> uh, I'm serious about Stover Farms Custom Meats. You should be, too. 4,000 Presidential Parkway in Powell. Excellent steaks and roasts and hamburger and sausage and chicken, you name it. Uh, they will have it in the protein realm, and it's all hormone-free, non-GMO. It's excellent. Uh, the Stover family, you'll hear a lot about that name in the coming years as uh, Cade Stover, Mr. Football in 2018, uh, becomes a headliner for the Buckeyes. As I said, he was Mr. Football, linebacker, defensive end. He's going to get to the passer, big, strong kid, uh, fed by that uh, certified Angus beef from his dad and mom's farm yep. in Lexington. So 4,000 Presidential Parkway in Powell. They're open Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, the best steak you've ever had, and know where your meat comes from and what's in it. StoverFarmsCustomMeats.com. So, so there's no truth to the rumor that Trevor will guarantee a Division One scholarship if you feed your kid Stover meats. I don't have. I don't have. Trevor's never called me to deny that. <laughs> <laughs> if true, yeah. uh, if I if if I get another if I get another thing watching all this news and stuff and. Slamming and bombshell and bombshell. if true and bombshell. blasting and it's yeah. just the the hyperbole is so too much. I, I I have to turn it off. I can't take it. Yeah. Beginning of the end. I, it's it's I mean you know why? What's the point of even going on? All right, what's the bombshell? Bombshell every day. If true, something. Yeah. If true, yeah. I I can't stand the if true. I mean, did you ever notice that before we yeah. pointed that no, out? No, you were the first one to point that out. Really? If true. If yeah. true. It's, I a mean, lot. it's in there a lot. Isn't that just like the <laughs> the ultimate out for yeah. a reporter? No, oh, I if say, it's true. Well, I didn't say it was true. I just said if it's true. If it's yeah. true. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know if this is true or not. Uh, if but true. These uh, recruiting rankings, if true, Ohio State's in really good shape. Uh, according to uh, Cleveland.com, I can't keep track of the math on this. Maybe you can. 24-7 Sports. That's our friend Steve Hellwagon and Bucknuts. Updated player rankings saw two players in Ohio State's 2020 recruiting class receive five-star rankings. And the next paragraph is the Buckeyes now have five players who have five-star status. Okay. C.J. Stroud, a quarterback. Paris Johnson, Jr., a tackle. Wide receivers Julian Fleming and a young man whose name I cannot pronounce Jackson Smith something, N-J-I-G-B-A. That's four players. So in the first paragraph, I have two players get five-star rankings. Then the next sentence is Buckeyes now have five players who have five-star status, and then they name four players. So I I don't know. We got a good class. That's what I know. The updated updated rankings give the Buckeyes seven top 100 recruits in a 24-man class because they haven't signed Cameron Martinez yet. And he got a visit from Ryan Day and uh, Mr. Red Bull, Kerry Combs, the other day. And he's all in, ready to re- ready to sign with the Buckeyes uh, in February. Uh, despite many of players moving upward in the rankings, the Buckeyes recruiting class stayed at number five nationally behind Alabama, 
Georgia, Clemson, and LSU. Uh, the only top five team to have more five-star commitments in OSU uh, is the reigning national champions who also had three. So they don't have more if they also have three. So, so now up in the first graph, we had two get five stars. Then we were told they have five who have five stars. They list four, and down here they say they have three. I don't know. The whole recruiting thing makes my head hurt. Yeah, I don't I don't know who's actually ranking these guys and who actually determines how many stars. I don't know the process. Maybe you can ask Steve the the process. Well, that's not that's not this is a cleveland.com no. story. And, and hey, uh, cleveland.com does as far as I'm concerned in the newspaper realm the best job of covering the Buckeyes. Doug Lamarice is phenomenal. Uh Nathan, their new guy Nathan does a great mm-hmm. job. Stephen Means on basketball. So I don't. I'm just saying. I read that and I tried to figure out the math, and I can't figure out the math on it. I'm sure it all makes sense, and Doug will have to explain it to my thick head how it makes sense. Yeah. But my thing is my overriding question. I have had a lifelong skepticism with recruiting rankings. How does a kid get upgraded in his star status if he hasn't played any games? I have a guess. I just purely a guess. I have a guess. Your what's your guess? That the. Um, the offers that he receives, maybe uh, that ups the star. If he yeah. say if Alabama offers him, Texas, Oklahoma, Clemson, uh, Auburn, whatever. If all these people are offering him, maybe he gets another star. I, yes, I don't that's know. My, that's my supposition too. Is your ratings are not? It's not an. In, it appears Michigan. that it's not an independent evaluation. I don't know who evaluates. It's like you're it. evaluated by who's evaluating you and thinks enough of you. Which you could say that makes sense, but they all say no. We we rate them independently. Well, then how's a kid move if he doesn't play a game? I don't. Uh, I have no idea, Bruce. I, I really don't. I don't know anything about recruiting. I just know that Ohio State does a great job of identifying superb talent. Yes, they do. And closing a deal on that superb talent. So, like, and developing so, that superb talent. And uh, I like much like Clemson and much like Alabama and, and uh, whoever won the national championship this year. That'd be LSU. LSU. Yeah. <laughs> They're one moment in the sun. It's now well, Joe Burrow uh, leaves. Uh, uh, all right. Joe Burrow leaves. Bo Pelini. Joe Brady. Yeah, Bo Pelini. Leaving the Youngstown confines State. of Youngstown, Ohio is for the, Baton Rouge. Is the vest coming back to coach? No. President Tressel? No. Come on, that'd tie his career in a nice, tidy bow. He's a president. Why would I he know do he that? is, but he could be, you know, he have player coaches. He could he's be done president. A great he could job, be president coach. By the way, at, at he's Youngstown. Missed, he's, he's done a great job at Youngstown. He's gotten them all fired up. He's a great. No, but he's build, done a great he's job a great, with the campus. And yeah, the, I know he's yeah. a great builder of uh, uh, alliances and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he's that's a perfect role for him. You know, there are those who be, who believe um, he should be the president of Ohio State to take over for Michael Drake. I think the academics would have a mutiny on their hands if uh, I don't know. They like they want a president who has you know degrees as long as your arm and a yeah. proven academic record. And Tress, I believe Tress would be Tress great. have a PhD. He might have a PhD. I don't know. I think he probably has an honorary PhD. I think he'd be sure. great for Ohio State as president. The money would flow in, baby. <laughs> not like it's not now. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, Are we having a money shortage over there? Yeah, all we're of not a having a money shortage. As long as the printing press under French Fieldhouse keeps churning it out, they'll be fine. Okay. All right, Mr. Spielman. Yes, sir. Uh, this is going to be a fun way to end the podcast because, uh, yeah, my my uh, dauber's down a bit based on an email I got last night from uh, 
uh, my employer. So I needed this this morning. I prayed about, Lord, help me to stay encouraged because you know what? I know, I know, like last night I got this email from my uh, employer and I'm like, just didn't feel good about it. I'll say that, okay? Well, so you told me what, the, I'm not going to say, you told me what the email said and my immediate re- reaction was, mm, see ya, but go ahead. Because, uh, the, would you yeah. say the demands were unrealistic? I, I, I think seriously they were hanging with Kareem Hunt that yeah, morning. Thank you. Okay. When they wrote good. the email, enough said. <laughs> with okay. the open container so, so, and a bag of weed. All right. So I went in my bedroom and I prayed. I was, I was conflicted. It was bedtime. I wanted to sleep, but it stirred up stuff in me. So the reason I bring this up is not, oh, whoa, is me. It's like you may get an email like this. You may have something happen in your life. And I've tried, as I've told you before, since a year ago, losing my job, to reorder my life and to approach things in a, to hand the load to God that I can't shoulder myself. So I, so I thought, okay, what have you learned since last February, Bruce? And what I learned was focus on, and you brought this up on a podcast, focus on what you know is true. Okay, so what do I know that's true? I, I'm not going to get caught up in the whole email drama and requirement this and that, and how am I going to do it? And blah, 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 blah. What do I know is true? I know God loves me. I know he'll never leave me or forsake me. I know worry is not of God. It's not productive. So what do I know is true? I know that his grace is sufficient and that uh, sufficient unto the day is the worry thereof. So, okay. So I just sort of was able to relax and go to sleep. And then I thought, hey, you know, <laughs> opened up my computer today. I thought, boy, it'd be nice to get some encouragement this morning. So here's the review of the day. You weren't counting on encouragement I, from me, were I, you? I, no, I, was, I learned not to do that. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, A.J. Lemke, fresh review, 128. Thank you for the review on iTunes. He says, I listened to both of you on the fan and at times would be frustrated by Bruce. After multiple family members told me I should really give the podcast a try, I gave in. This podcast has become a must-listen in my library. You both are so honest in your takes now. It feels much more authentic. You were always open about your faith on the fan, but I love that you are so committed now that it is a part of every show. Thank you. So, that's really nice. Thank you, A.J. So, then I went to emails. And you've been asking people to respond to your 6,000-mile challenge, right? Yes. I have an update, by the way, at the end of the show. Very good. Uh, Adam says, I heard Chris's challenge for people to commit to a healthier life, and I wanted to echo his sentiment as someone who lost 130 pounds. Job, Adam. Great job. The old-fashioned way, exercising and watching what I ate. The hardest part was getting started. Worried what others would think when they saw me walking or jogging. I realize now... Uh, I realize now as someone that is in shape, when I see people exercising, no matter what they look like, I'm happy for the person because they are making healthy choices. Don't let what others think stand in your way from getting started because you are more likely to be inspiring others. Here's the thing. That's, that's really cool. I want to comment on that real quick. Um, every time I see somebody that is out of shape in or overweight or just, and I see them walking or jogging. I want to pull over and and say, keep you can do this, keep doing it. And I'm afraid I'm going to offend them if I do that instead of inspire them. But I I I just think when I drive past them, I actually say a little prayer for them about just stay with it, just stay with it. It's one step at a time, and you can do this. And for Adam to write that, uh, 
I, I probably, I don't know if he's self-conscious or if people that are just out of shape or getting well, he's started. He's not anymore. He lost no, 130. But, if, but if, if people are self-conscious, and I just want to keep encouraging you that you can do this. Like I said, I, I um, know a young guy, a young coach that's dropped well over 100 pounds, and uh, I kept him, he is an inspiration, and I tell this story. It's His name's Coach Jonathan. I'll call him Coach Jonathan, but... You know, he's, he's gone back to church. He's found his faith. He's changed his whole life around. And it's just encouraging to, to see that. And I just want to keep encouraging those. And for guys like Adam, and that's so cool to hear. And that's great, man. And no, nobody says, again, I'm not saying that everybody has to do 6,000 miles because I think it's insane because right now my hips and my back are are killing me. But I'm going to press on. I don't know why because I have a sickness and a disease. Because you're not listening to your body. I'm not listening to my body, but I put the challenge into myself, and so uh, I'm gonna. If I have bloody stubs by the end of it, I'm gonna get to six thousand miles. I promise you that. Oh, <laughs> all right. I told you when you started this, not a good idea. <laughs> so pray Every, for spiels. Everybody's telling me this is not a good idea. <laughs> I can't stop though. Yeah. All right. All right. What's so the next one? Do you have then another one? I open this email. And this one, um, that's Adam still. Yep, Adam. Uh, no, that's Adam's email. Sorry, we we'll go back and find the other. That's one. That's what there. I just told you. Yes, I know. Like I said, I get you. Keep hitting the top one. You have to go to okay. the second one. Okay, very good. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go from Joe in Nashville. All right. Hey guys. I really enjoy the podcast. I love listening to you guys during my lunch break way back when I lived in Columbus. I've been listening to the podcast since the beginning with the earlier episodes. I would stop the podcast after the Buckeye talk. However, since I really enjoy how you guys interact with each other, I started listening all the way to the end, including the faith segment. Before I started listening, I guess you could call me a lapsed Christian. But after listening to your faith section, I started to pray again and started slowly to get back to God. Wow. Last week, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. I'll win this battle. I just want to thank you guys so much for helping me to start to rebuild my relationship with Christ because, believe me, it is helping me so much to deal with this cancer. Chris quoted a verse from Samuel that went something like this, God will use what is meant to destroy you to deliver you. Yes, he will, and he has. Thanks, guys, for getting me started. I don't know what to say. I mean. Thank you. That's what I say. Because I tell you what, there are mornings where I'm like... (laughs) Um, why are we doing this? Why am I making Chris drive out here? Um, are we making a difference? Uh, honest, is this ever going to make any money? Um, and, and God always says it has to have a dollar sign for it to matter. (laughs) Occasionally I will go to our, uh, podcast, uh, page where we chart, you know, our analytics. I get on the phone with Paul D. Podesta and he tells me all about our analytics and um, I look at the fact that as of this morning, we have had, since the inception of the podcast in August, 106,814 people listen to our podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, Ohio Stadium, if you want to picture it that way, mm-hmm. is essentially filled. If you picture Ohio Stadium filled, those are the people who've listened to us. Okay, so that's not, I don't say that as like, hey, look at that. I say that as we've had an opportunity, and it's not at 106,000 different people. I understand that. Right. But we've had an opportunity to present a faith-based 
encouragement, I hope, at the end of every podcast 107,000 times. Now, I've seen before reported that a person has to hear the gospel 18 times before it actually results in them giving their life to Christ. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but I'm sure that it's, you know, it's a stat people came up with with some kind of, uh, you know, purposeful and uh, heartfelt intent. And I wondered, will anybody ever tell us, hey, this caused me to... I wondered that yesterday, and then today I get this email. So, Joe in Nashville, you made my week. You made my month with that one, and thank you very much. And and we'll and I'm going to add you to my list of people that I'm praying for on your prostate cancer. And I know um, we applaud your confidence, and we'll be praying for your doctors that they have great acumen and insight, and that you'll he'll put good caregivers in your life who are kind and gentle and insightful in their treatment. And um, just thank you very much for that email. Well, I mean, I enjoy coming out of here every morning. Free Diet Coke. <laughs> That's my diet right. <laughs> Once we get to 200,000 total listens, yes, I won't not have to alternate between diet right and diet Coke. <laughs> so I, uh, I'm happy to hear that. I mean, I think that's the... That's why we do it. That's why we started goal. it. That's why we do it, yeah. I uh, want to share something. I'm not the uh, writer that you are, Bruce, but every so often I write, you're probably surprised to know this, that I write certain things down. I'm not surprised because uh, what people will be surprised to know is that you are very um, talented at writing poetry. Uh, I don't know about you are. That. And that that sounds strange. Um, I wrote this about 10 months ago. And I wrote it at night. And I don't know why I wrote it. I'm sure there is a reason. And I think this can go and be useful to a lot of our, our listeners. And maybe I've shared, I think I've shared this with you before. And it's called, We Can't Change the Past. Okay. Do you remember me telling you about this before? Mm -hmm. You do? Okay. We can't change the past, but we can dictate how we live in the present and future. Choose to serve. Choose to love. Choose to be an example of optimism and hope. Go forth without fear and without regret. Challenges will shape your heart. How we respond to adversity will determine if we look like us or we look like Jesus. Jesus asked Peter three times if he loves him. Will you sacrifice for me if you are called to do so? If Jesus loves me, then in order for me to emulate Jesus, I have to give love away even if it requires sacrificial giving. What an honor to recognize the blessings of the act of service. Remind yourself whose you are every day and that because of Calgary, quote-unquote, the cross— we are ultimately victorious. You are holy. You are righteous. You are redeemed. I hope you realize that the choices that you make will eventually make you. When the time comes, my prayer is that you will choose joy over sadness, peace over turmoil, love over loneliness, and finally, we will choose triumph over tragedy. Please, whatever you do, don't let your relationship with Jesus be based on whether you have a good day or a bad day. His love is not changing, and God will never waver. 
So I just wanted to read that to the listeners today to understand uh, the the big point of that, that God isn't going to waver against you. And the beautiful thing about Christianity is choice. There's nothing forced on you. And Bruce and I's wish is that you uh, make the decision or the choice to, if you're wavering on what this Christianity thing is, is it real, is it not real? If you're wavering on that, then do yourself a favor and examine it. And like we said on Monday and like we're saying today, uh, I don't want you to take my word for it. I don't want you to take Bruce's word for it. Do the do the um, work yourself and ask, what do I have to gain and what do I have to lose? You have everything to gain and nothing to lose. And all you have to do is search. And if you search, I promise you, you will find. You read that today for me too, big man, because I needed uh, needed to hear that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm giving a speech Thursday night in West Virginia. Uh, use that? If you're inclined, <laughs> I was thinking I wanted you to text that to me, yeah, because that's kind of what I'm speaking about. So it's a global missions conference, and uh, you know me, I'm Mr. Global Missions here in Plain City. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, well, but I, I'm honored I, to be asked to speak at it, and I uh, appreciate prayers from those of you who are so inclined uh, that my message would resonate with the uh, students there and would motivate them because— uh, you know, God prompted Chris to read that today because uh, I needed to hear that. All right. So thank you very much. Lock on. Everybody have a great Wednesday, and uh, we will talk to you again on Friday here on the Spielman and Hooley We Tackle Life podcast.